54 through 62. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 54. Let us now give our attention to the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, they were (laughs) set down together. Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. About the space of one hour, after another confidently affirmed saying of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do give thee thanks for thy word. We thank thee that thy thy word gives us understanding that thou by thy word teaches us all things and we pray O lord that as we open the scriptures that we might understand them that we might learn them that we might digest them that we might become followers of christ that we might be his disciples and follow wherever he leads O lord give us understanding may the words of my mouth the meditation of our hearts Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you who are following the outline, the outline is in the back. It's a little more detailed today, a little uh, more than normal. But I trust that as we come to this text this morning that we would find here not just a historical account of the suffering and crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but a beautiful picture of who this Christ is. As I said last week, it's easy for us to come to this account in the Gospels. Okay, Christ is going to the cross, he's betrayed, you know, we read through that. And there's a sense in which our eyes are glazed over. But I trust this morning that our eyes are not glazed over. But I trust that we would come to the Scriptures and understand who is this Jesus? Why did he submit to those authorities? Why did this innocent man who was without sin stand as a victim, stand as a criminal before these men? Well, the scriptures here show us a wonderful picture 
in this account of Peter's denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps we've read this account many times. Perhaps we've given no thought to the failure of Peter. And yet, here is another rejection. Here is another betrayal that Jesus is faced with. He was betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples. And now, he is rejected by Peter. And we read this and we think, well, how is it that Christ could be rejected by his own disciples, by those who were the closest to him? Peter was one of his closest. Peter was the one who initially said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, how often we see the faith of Peter. Now we come to this text and perhaps we question, Well, is there really faith in the heart of Peter? We certainly see no faith in the heart of Judas. We see that Judas went to the place that was appointed for him. In the end, Judas took his own life in self-murder. Now Peter here shows his failure. You know, I want us to see here in this text of Scripture that Peter's failure is an example to us. It's a lesson to us of how easy it is for us to fail. As we come to our text, we come to that final section in Luke's account of the gospel when we see Christ going to the cross to suffer ransom for many. We see the prophecy of Isaiah which says, He is a man of sorrows and what? One acquainted with grief. And so here in our passage before us, we find... Several things for us in our instruction. First of all, we see the cause for why Peter failed. Why did Peter fail? Perhaps as we come to our text, we can say, well, we're not sure why he failed. But I think we get a a sense of why he failed. But as we think about that first point, why Peter failed, remember There, back in chapter 22 and verse 31, the Lord Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, or when thou art turned back, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus had prophesied that Peter would deny him three times. And now Jesus reminds us again that Satan would desire to have him. And we, we've already seen that. We've, we've thought about that in recent weeks. But how we fail to understand that Satan desires to have us. Even the most godly saint, even the most godly pastor, Satan desires to have. But notice here, and this is important, that Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. He didn't pray for Peter that he would not sin. 
as the Lord's Prayer reminds us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here we find the Lord Jesus Christ prays for Peter that he might strengthen his brethren. And we see the end of this account. But as we look at the text this morning, we find here that after that upper room discourse, as Jesus is there at that last supper, as he's instituted the Lord's Supper, as he's there at that final Passover meal, eating with them in that upper room, he gives them a lot of instructions. The Gospel of John gives more detail of those instructions. But at the end of that, we find here that they lead Jesus away and bring him to the high priest's house. Now the next several weeks we'll see the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we're building up to that. But you remember the faith of Peter? When there in that last section he says, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. And here Peter said earlier, he says, I will never deny thee. I will never fall away. And here we see Peter in his, his so-called zeal. Slicing off the ear of the high priest with a sword. And Jesus giving him that rebuke. We see Peter with, with a, a faith that sometimes is overzealous. And yet, he says, I will never deny Christ. I will follow him to the death. But we discover that is not the case. But it's interesting to note here that in Luke's account of the gospel, this account of Peter's denial comes after uh, this upper room discourse and before his trial. But in Matthew, Mark, and John, we see that the failure of Peter is recorded after the trial of Christ. I think that's interesting to note because in John's account of the gospel, there's an intersparsing of events for that particular reason. But I believe Luke notes here that he mentions the failure of Peter before the cross. To remind us that as he goes to the cross, where is his disciples? They're not there. They've abandoned him. And you know what? That's, that's sobering for us to think about. Those disciples turned away from him. And yet the gospel of John reminds us that Christ came to whom? His own. And his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the power to become sons and daughters of God. But here as they lead him away, as that appointed time for his trial begins, they bring him to the high priest's house. Where is Peter? He's afar off. And Luke bears this out so clearly. Peter followed afar off. And the question this morning is if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, do you follow him afar off? Oh, no, no, I, you know, I go to church sometimes. Or, or no, I'm, I'm not really 
that fanatical in my faith. And we oftentimes, like Peter, can follow from afar off. And I think it's important to note that the cause of Peter's failure is recorded right there at the very beginning. Peter followed afar off. That tells us that Peter did not really want to be identified with Christ in that hour. Where are the other disciples? Luke doesn't tell us. But as Peter is standing there in the high priest's house, being ready to be charged and arraigned, you see that Peter is standing there in the midst of a fire that has been kindled. It says in the midst of the hall, there in the high priest's house, this would have been a a large a building where the high priest lived. This is where the trial took place. It says that in the midst of that hall, there was a fire that was kindled for warmth. And it is in that hour that Peter is standing there and some of the people gathered there and Peter sat down among them. We don't want to surmise things that are not particularly in the text, but I think it's important to note that Peter, one of the causes for his failure is he forsook the Lord's word. There was a presumption on his account. Didn't he just say that he would follow Christ to death? So where is he? He's sitting there with others, kindling himself in the fire. You would think if Peter had claimed that faith, if Peter had followed him, that he would be right there with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had already cut off the high priest's right ear. So you'd think he'd be right there saying, no, you can't take my Savior. Isn't there a sense the heart and the life of Peter when he forgets? When he fails to understand how Jesus time after time after time said the Son of Man would suffer, he would be rejected. He would die. He didn't understand that. The apostles didn't fully understand that. And so there is a forsaking here in the fact that he turned away or he followed from afar. He forsook the Lord. He did not follow him. There's a carelessness here. We see one of the causes of of his failure is carelessness. There was a failure to watch and to pray. Jesus had been before this, where? In the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, pouring out his heart to the Father. And then he comes back, and where does he find his disciples? Probably in the same place that pastors find church members on the Lord's Day, asleep. They're not there watching. They're not there praying, but they're sleeping. Why do you sleep? Verse 46. Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. 
Oh, how well we would remember the lesson that we can easily fall into temptation when we are not in prayer. Oh, we can all testify to that most assuredly. That the times when we are the weakest, the times when we fall flat on our face, are the times when we have not been in prayer. And Jesus reminds all of his disciples, but particularly Peter, we can easily be led into temptation when we are not praying. Oftentimes the Lord causes us to fall into temptation for two reasons. To show the weakness of our own flesh and to show our need or our dependence upon God. We like Peter, I can do this. I can do this. And we think we have strength and power to do it. Oh, saints of God, we are all weak. I confess, even as your pastor, and I'm grateful for the prayers of the congregation, particularly reminded in this last month of Pastor Appreciation Month, the most thing that a pastor appreciates the most is the prayers of the saints. But we need to pray for each other because too often we can depend upon our own strength, our own skills. You know, pastors can come and do all of the preparation work to preach. And yet, if we depend upon our own skill, our own preaching abilities, we will fail. But it is the demonstration of the Spirit of God and of His power that shows us we're dependent upon Him, not upon ourselves. And so there's a carelessness the cause for why Peter failed. He didn't watch. He didn't pray. There was a distance from Christ. But you don't see this. But I think one thing we see in Peter that is often overlooked is his pride. Isn't that what gets us all in trouble? I can handle this. We fall flat on our face. Yeah, we did that quite well. And yet the reason we fall is because of our own sinful pride. And Peter fell hard. He denied Christ three times. But again, I think the text bears this out. Peter followed from afar off. Where is he sitting? He's not sitting with Christ. He's not there as Jesus is being tried in a reign before the high priest. He's there within that hall among other people keeping himself warm. And the text bears this out that he, he is associated with those who wanted Jesus put to death. Let me ask you a question here this morning. Young people particularly do you find that you have a greater desire for friendships with others than having a friendship with Christ? That is a great temptation. Oh, I don't have a lot of friends. Oh, they look like a great crowd of friends. And so sometimes we can follow those friends. 
We can follow the world, yet we can turn so easily away from Christ. Jesus, or Peter, did not keep company with Christ at this point. He kept company with those who wanted to condemn him. And be careful, even for young people, that you do not keep company and association with those who reject Christ, who despise him, who turn away from him. Because if you do, you will fall harder than Peter did. You will fall in complete denial. And so those are some things here as we consider the cause for why Peter failed. But secondly, we see the way in which he failed. It's clear from the text that he fell three times by his denial. Notice in verse 56, a maid came in, certain maid, and she saw him sitting by the fire. Now you would think she had never met him before. How would she know who he was? But Luke bears this out. She earnestly looked upon him. It's like, don't I know you? Haven't I seen you before? This man was also with him. And so she points out Peter and says, this man was with Jesus. And what's Peter's response? Woman, I know him not. To call a woman a woman in that day was a term of respect. We use that in a derogatory way today, but he was showing his respect to the woman. But he was showing his disrespect for his master and his teacher. I know him not. And a little while after, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. Notice here the description in verse 58. Thou art of whom? Them. Thou art one who is a follower of Christ. Thou art, you indeed are identified with him and with those who follow him. Peter says, man, I am not. Here, speaking to that man in denial. And then about an hour later, another confidently affirmed. Notice how Luke, as a doctor, gives detail. It's not just another says that you are a Galilean, but confidently affirms, saying of a truth, this fellow was with Christ. He is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. Notice three times he denied it. Every time there was intensity. I do not know him. I tell you, I know him not. I tell you, I am not one of his. Oh, we see so clearly how Peter failed. He failed by denying Christ. 
he failed by swearing, by affirming an untruth. They do not know him. He denied him as he did not want to be identified with Christ in his death. Oh, Peter was happy to be walking with Jesus and, and see the crowd of people being fed. Oh, Peter was happy to walk with Jesus as he's teaching the crowds, as he sees demon-possessed people being delivered, as he sees twisted bodies made whole, as he sees the kingdom of God in the midst of the people. Oh, he wanted to identify with Christ. But he did not want to identify with Christ in his suffering. And oftentimes, we as Christians want to identify with Christ. Oh, I've been baptized. Oh, I'm, I'm a member of such and such a church. But in the time of trial and the time of persecution, we want no identity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I started reading an account just recently of a man who is one of the six sons, I believe, of the co-founder of the Hamas group. He was, con he was a Muslim, raised with that desire, even as a young boy, to take up arms against Israel particularly. Yet he was imprisoned by Israel, and in prison they used him as an informant. And in God's goodness... He converted him and he became a believer. He lives in the United States. He's disowned by his family, disowned by his father. And several years ago when he was baptized, he publicly identified himself with Christ. And in the Muslim culture, if one rejects Islam and is baptized, identifying with Christ in the Christian faith, they're put to death. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful account of a man who in spite of rejection of his family, in spite of persecution, he has identified himself with Christ. Oh, oftentimes we can fail the Lord by not wanting to be known as his disciple. And even in your friendships and even in your associations with people, you can deny Christ in many ways, fail to speak of his mercy and grace. But Peter turned away in denial. He rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a hard lesson for Peter to learn. But note here the change in the text in the third point. We see that in the midst of failure, in the denial of Christ, we see the repentance of Peter. There in your outline, several things I've noted there. We see the repentance of Peter begins there in verse 60. As Peter had denied Christ for the third time, the text says immediately the cock crowed. <coughs> and the text shows us, and the Lord turned. As soon as that cock crowed, Jesus turns and looks upon Peter. 
Now, the text doesn't tell us the exchange there, but we see the result of that change. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter. That look, that glance, must have pierced the heart of Peter. That glance must have shaken him to the core. You know, growing up, I had a father that just needed to look at me, and that was enough. I remember the look of my father. That's all it took. But here in the text, we see the look of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he look? There's a couple of things I think it's important to note here. That in that look of Christ unto Peter, it was not a vindictive look. It was not that look like, I told you, I knew that was going to happen. Don't we do that? We look at someone and says, I told you, you shouldn't have done that. I told you, you shouldn't have gone there. But there's no indication here of a vindictiveness in the heart of Jesus because Jesus was never vindictive. But in that look, there's two things. There's the reproof. There's the rebuke. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Not only did Jesus know that he would turn away, Jesus turned and looked upon Peter. There's a rebuke in that look. There's a, there's a warning that you indeed have turned against me. You notice even in Judas's betrayal, even though his betrayal was final, there was never a vindictiveness in his response to Judas. And we see it here. There's not a vindictiveness. And even in reproofs that are brought against sin, there's not a vindictiveness. There's not a thing to say, okay, you got caught. It's over. It's done. Here it's a reproof that the Lord Jesus Christ loved Peter enough to give him that look. And notice the text says that when the Lord looked upon Peter, immediately Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said before the cock crows three times, or before the cock crows, thou wilt deny me three times. And so in that look, there's a reproof. There is the reminder to him not in a callous, vindictive way. Peter, you have turned away from me. But there's another thing in that look, and Charles Spurgeon, I, I love, as I get older, I love Charles Spurgeon's sermons. But in Charles Spurgeon's sermon on the denial of Peter, he brings out so clearly the pity and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ for the one who denied him. Even in his denial, we see the pity and the compassion of the Lord Jesus. But the repentance begins with that look of reproof, that look of mercy and compassion. Then we see the sorrow of Peter. Says, as soon as the Lord looked upon him and he remembered the word of the Lord, the text tells us 
he went out and wept bitterly. As I ponder that verse, think how often do I weep bitterly when I fail the Lord Jesus Christ, when I turn against him. Peter went out. He left that hall and wept bitterly. And here's the key to true repentance. Repentance always begins with an acknowledgement that somehow we have fallen short. It's an acknowledgement that we have seen, that we have turned away from the Lord. And there's a crying out, there's a sorrow. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that worldly sorrow brings death. We're always concerned about the consequences of sin, but we're never concerned about the sin. The worldly sorrow is that we've been caught, the consequences of our sin. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. There we see the effects of that repentance in Peter's sorrow. He was first of all brought to remembrance and then we see his contrition and his sorrow for his betrayal. And later we find out and we see the fruits of Peter's repentance. But as we think upon these things, I think there's several lessons we learn from this passage. I think we need to see in the life of Peter. It is a shameful state for those who profess to be followers of Christ to deny the Lord. Jesus tells us in Matthew's gospel that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And there's a sense in which that public humiliation and shame causes us to fall away from sin, from the Lord into sin. But it's shameful when Christians fall into that state. But J.C. Ryle warns us that there's dangers to sin, that the story of Peter teaches us how small and gradual are the steps by which men may grow into great sin. There are those occasions when we can fall in a moment. In the heat of the moment, whatever that may be, we fall. That's, that's great. That can be a great sin. But you know, for most people, fall into sin begins very gradual and very innocent. We don't, we don't even see it. Sin can begin to be very small. Then it grad, gradually becomes step by step into something far greater. And J.C. Ryle reminds us that the first step in this progression in sin results in proud self-confidence. Though all men denied Christ, Peter said, yet I will never deny him. And so we can, again, as I've said earlier, we can neglect prayer 
And when we neglect prayer, when we neglect those means of grace God gives us, then we fall, we become drowsy, we fall asleep. Then we become indecisive, we make wrong choices and wrong decisions. And for some, perhaps sitting here today, there is within your own heart and your own affections that growing sin that will cause you in the end to deny Christ. Oh, we are good at creating idols within our hearts. We want the applause of men. We want the affection of others. We want to be seen as good and we don't want anybody to see us in a bad light. And yet we need to be aware of the beginnings of backsliding comes within the heart of one who begins with an evil habit, begins to grow and grow. For some of you young people, this is an important lesson to learn. That we are called, as the proverb says, to keep our heart diligent so that we will not fall into sin. But another lesson I think we often overlook is that even in our failures, even in our shortcomings, even in our denial of Christ, if we are His and we belong to Him, He's always tender. He's always mercy, merciful and compassionate. The Lord Jesus Christ is always compassionate and kind toward us. He may allow us to fall for a season, but for those who are his, as the proverb says, the righteous man falls seven times. The Lord will keep him. So the question this morning, as we consider this text, is are you a follower of Christ? Because if you are not a follower of Christ, you're under the wrath of God. You will face judgment in hell. You will be separated from God for eternity. Man cannot turn away from God's law and not face the penalty for that. And yet if man would return, turn in repentance toward Christ, oh, there is great mercy and compassion. The psalmist reminds us that the mercies of the Lord are new and fresh every morning. That the Lord is gracious, merciful toward us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins and transgressions from us. Here's a warning for us this morning, but here is that wonderful hope and promise. That the Lord Jesus Christ always looks toward us in mercy even in his rebuke, even in his warnings, there was always that promise of mercy and forgiveness. We are weak, we are helpless, and without the grace of God, we can fall to the devices of Satan so easily. He can catch us off guard without our armor on. We can fail by not praying, by not watching against lapses in sin, by not watching against the devices of Satan. 
Oh, I would urge you this morning to look in hope to Christ, who is that ark of safety, who is a refuge and strength for all who put their hope and their confidence in him. Oh, the Lord will not despise the one who turns to him in repentance. And saint of God, let us find fresh courage this morning in our failures. That we may find that Christ indeed is kind and gracious unto us. The warning is for those who do not know Christ. Look to him in faith. Look to him in hope. Plead to him for mercy. And he will in no wise cast out those who come unto him. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do give thee thanks this morning for the beauty of the gospel. We thank you that even in the life of Peter we see the promise that even in our failures and even in our sin we have a gracious Savior. O Lord, we ask that thou wouldst look upon us in pity and mercy this morning, that you would grant us grace, that we might watch, that we might pray, that we would not fall into temptation. Lord, I pray for many of our young people here today that thou wouldst indeed guard them and guard them well. We pray that you would protect them and keep them from the wiles of Satan, that you would keep them from that hour of temptation. O Lord, we ask that thou wouldst bless this word to our hearts and let us see Christ in all of his glory, in all of his humiliation that we may see this Christ, who indeed is our King and our Redeemer. Amen. Let us conclude this morning by seeing Psalm 36b, Thy mercy, Lord, extends to heaven. <clears throat> 